you so much that we can be here today, Lord. We just pray that we would be spoken to by your word, uh, and we pray that we would be encouraged to, to be receptive to your will and to carry it out. God, we just pray for your blessing on our efforts and our time together this morning, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, good morning. Uh, we're going to spend this morning studying from John chapter 1, verses 19 through 28. So if you have a Bible with you here today, awesome. Uh, so if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn to John chapter 1, and we're going to be in verses 19 through 28. I'll give you a minute to get there, and then I'm going to jump right in. Now, this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? They asked. He said, no. Finally, they said, well, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him also, asking, why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John replied, I baptize with water, but one among you but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. And we'll unpack that passage there in a few. But first, let's look back on, on the passage that brought us here. So over the last four weeks, if you've been here for the last four weeks, we kind of went over like the, the prologue. It's kind of frequently referred to uh, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. And verses uh, 1 through 18 serve as kind of a, a foretelling. They encapsulate the essence of Jesus, his pre-existence, his, his foretold arrival, uh, his becoming one of us, and his reception of the world, uh, by the world, rather, that he created. In those opening verses, they land us right here. And a few things that I've mentioned before, when we, when we read scripture, it's important to ask these, these questions. Who is speaking? What is being said? And who is being spoken to? So right off the bat, we know that there is a dialogue taking place. This isn't just like a one-on-one. -on -one. There's, a, there's a few voices being heard here. There's a dialogue taking place between one person and a group of people, actually a couple different groups of people. So let's identify who that is. Verse 19 reads... Now, this was John's testimony when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. Who are the Levites? Who are the priests? What did they ask him? It's interesting, and the reason I say what did they ask him is because it tells us that that's why they were sent there. But it's interesting that, that right here that Scripture says that they were sent to ask him who he was, but if we're to rely solely on Scripture, and that's what I like to do, we see that John kind of answers before they really ask a specific question. Verse 20 reads that he freely confesses, I am not the Christ, I'm not the Messiah. Your translation, your translation may read either of those two, Christ or Messiah. So we know 
that he knows that people are saying something. We know that there is a stir among the citizens of this area. And back to those questions, who are the Levites and and who are the priests? The priests represented like a theological authority sent by the nation of Jerusalem. And we're not told uh, in this passage how many priests there were, whether they belong or didn't belong to a particular group of religious leaders or any of that sort, anything of that sort. All we can know is that they were there in representation of the theological authorities, the man. They were the man. School of Rock, nobody? Okay, that's fine. I get it. It's, It's cool. The Levites... They were there in representation of those responsible for ritual and service. Uh, if, you, if you know scripture at all, you know that the Levites are, are responsible in the Old Testament for uh, uh, putting up and breaking down the tabernacle pre-temple times. And uh, they're, yes, they are, they are keepers of this, uh, of this ritual. And this guy, John, well, he just didn't really fit the bill for any of that. He didn't fit into any category that would have been familiar with any of the Jewish authorities and, and his unusual success, this stir that was created around his dealings, well, it demanded an explanation. So this group of religious leaders is sent to him to ask who he was. And right away, before, before really asking anything, he says, I'm not, I'm not the guy. They don't even have to ask. They're walking up. He knows what they're there for. And before they really ask anything, he says, I'm not the Christ. I'm not the Messiah. And they ask him, then who are you? Who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? They asked. And he answered, no. And finally, they say, well, what would you say of yourself? Just tell us, like, Okay, I, uh, we're not going to ask you specifically who we might think you are, but can you tell us who are you? Who are you, please? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And then John replies with the words of Isaiah the prophet in saying, I am the voice of one calling in the desert. Make straight the way for the Lord. And then this other group chimes in. We've met this other group before. The Pharisees, who had also been sent, questioned him, asking, well, why do you baptize? If you are not the Christ, if you are not Elijah, if you are not the prophet, why do you baptize? And he says to them, I baptize with water. And to be clear, if if you're not familiar with this uh, context here, baptism wasn't a new thing. It wasn't foreign to them. But it was something that was reserved for religious leaders, and it, and it had to do with being cleansed and brought back into the fold. So they're asking him, well, why do you baptize? If you're, if you're a nobody, and if you weren't the people that we're asking about, why are you baptizing? And he says to them, I baptize with water. But among you stands one you do not know. And he is the one who comes after me The thongs of his sandals I am not worthy to untie. What is happening here? Like on the grand scale, what is happening here now in this conversation? We have this collective of religious leaders 
And they're carrying with them a collective of questions because something is happening. A miracle has taken place. The word has become flesh. And John is here to witness boldly to the reality of this miracle. And his preaching, well, it attracted large crowds, large enough that the religious leadership had decided that they needed to investigate this situation because something was happening. And we don't like it when the power gets upset. So we got to check this out. What is happening? And John knows. Before he is even asked, John knows what they are going to ask him. And he just tells them, I'm not who you think I am. So they fire off with these follow-up questions. Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? And he answers no, and he answers no. And when they ask him, what do you say of yourself? Like, who, who are you? He replies again one more time with the words of the prophet, saying, I am the voice of one calling in the desert. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now, right here, it's very important to understand who he is speaking to. Yes, we have established that they are priests, religious leaders, Levites. We understand that they are the representation of the Jewish hierarchy. But what does that mean? John replied to them in the words of the prophet Isaiah. Now it is likely, more than likely, it is probable that every one of these Jewish leaders had memorized every word of the scrolls of the prophet Isaiah. So he's not just being cheeky. He's not just giving some veiled, cryptic answer. He knows who he is speaking to. He knows who his audience is, and his answer is targeted. He knows the words that he speaks are going to make waves. And when he's questioned again by the Pharisees, when they ask, why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you baptizing if you're not the Messiah, if you're not Elijah, if you're not the prophet? Why are you doing what you are doing? And he answers them. He does. He says, I baptize in water, but among you stands one you do not know. And he says it in such a way that I imagine was a conviction or a condemnation of them for being blind to their surroundings. And it becomes evident that they are asking the wrong questions to the wrong person. And this little dust up that's been caused by John the Baptist, it's just a taste of what's to come. And, he, and what he is doing almost serves as a metaphor for what is to come. Now, all of that is good and important to understand. But one piece of that dialogue caught my eye like a flashing light. If you would, if you have your Bibles here, and I think I, I threw this one up here, but if you could turn your Bible to the book of Isaiah, verses 3 through 5. Oh, pardon me, I believe that's chapter 40. Manny, it's up there. I didn't write that in my own notes. He gave me the thumbs up. So guys, I believe it's Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 through 5. Right on. 
Listen, I'm used to looking bad a lot, (laughs) but I really didn't want to take that one on the chin. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 through 5 read like this, a voice of one crying out, prepare the way of the Lord in the wilderness, make a straight highway for our God in the desert. Every valley will be lifted up and every mountain and hill will be leveled. The uneven ground will become smooth and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will appear and all humanity together will see it. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now you can think whatever you're going to think about these religious leaders. Were they bad? Were they all bad? No. Were they all good? No. But they had a misguided understanding of who and what the Messiah would be. And when I say misguided, I think a better, a better definition would be self-guided. They had an expectation that the Messiah would come to rescue them from the grip of their oppressor, like, like when they were delivered from Pharaoh. They had an expectation that not only would they be rescued from their oppressor, but that also the Messiah would be a conqueror and a ruler. What they didn't have was an expectation that when scripture read like this, every, val- every valley will be lifted up and every mountain and hill will be leveled. The uneven ground will become smooth and the rough places a plain. What they didn't expect is that the love, the grace, the mercy, the glory, and the power of God wasn't going to affect only the Israelites, but that it would be revealed to all of humanity, to all of creation, and that the glory of the Lord will appear and that humanity together will see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. I watched a video recently about the comparison between the Old Testament physical and the New Testament spiritual. And how in many, if not most cases, you can look at events that transpired in the physical realm of the Old Testament and see mirrored events that transpired in the spiritual realm of the New Testament. And here's why I bring that up. When I read those words, make straight the way for the Lord, it seems like it's the beginning of the end of an era of works-based faith. When Jesus surrendered his spirit on the cross, you guys can answer this one. What did he say? It is finished. The prophet Isaiah, Old Testament, said, make straight the way for the Lord. Every valley will be lifted. Every mountain and hill will be leveled. The uneven ground will become smooth and the rough places a plain and the glory of the Lord will appear and all humanity together will see it for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Jesus says, New Testament, by the way, for those of you that weren't clear on that, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to know the Father except through me. So we have this juxtaposition of old versus new. One says, make way. The other says, 
a way has been made. And that way is Jesus. The one says that the valleys will be lifted, mountains leveled, uneven grounds will be made smooth, and the rough places made to be a plain. And that's exactly what Jesus does. He makes the way for the Lord. Kings or peasants, it matters not. The path to the Father has become the same for all of us. It has been leveled. It has been equalized. I'm not sure if I had uh, mentioned it at the top of the message, but there's a question that I, that I posed. Actually, I don't think I did mention it because I copied and pasted from my Word document to my Mac document, and I think I missed a bit. My question is this. What does it look like? What does it mean for you and I to make straight the way for the Lord? Because that's that verse that stood out to me. What does it mean for me? What does it mean for you to make straight the way for the Lord? We'll come back to that in a moment here. Let's, let's first look at what Jesus says. In chapter 11, you don't have to turn here. I'm just going to drop some verses on you. In chapter 11 of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Last week, last Sunday, I had the opportunity to uh, cut out of here and go over to Sequoia, and I was... uh, able to catch the the tail end of of Jeremy's teaching. And he was really leaning into the practice of drawing near to the Lord. He used that phrase about a hundred times inside a few minutes, draw near to the Lord, draw near to the Lord. Specifically, he was talking about the path out of an entanglement with sin or struggle, however you want to say it, whatever it may be. And we so frequently have this battle plan in our head of how we're going to conquer the enemy. Whether it's in our lives or in the lives of others, you know, we just, we take ownership of the fight. And we can preach and we can pray and we can encourage. But what he asked was, when was the last time that we simply said, you could ask yourself this question, when, when was the last time that you simply said, You've just got to draw near to the Lord. I know that sounds like an oversimplification, but it's not. It's accurate. And Jeremy mentioned something that really resonated with me. He said that anytime he has tried to overcome or battle with sin or a struggle, that he just becomes entangled in it. And that we seem to have this this thought pattern that says, I know that I'm incapable of this. Let me give it a shot. And it brings me back to that line when John, John the Baptist tells the Pharisees, there stands among you one you do not know. And instantly I was convicted of my habit of looking at some struggle that I know that I have zero power over, 
that God has complete power over. And I look at it and I say to myself and I say to God, I know I'm incapable of this. Let me give it a shot. And the repetition of that pattern begs the question, are you not aware that the one who has conquered sin and death resides in you? If you were to ask me what I take from this passage, it's only two things, only two things. One is that John the Baptist, although sent by God, understands, admits, and confesses that he's not the guy. He's not the guy. And two, that John tells the religious leaders of that time and culture that the one that they seek stands among them, but that they don't even see him and they don't even know him. And those two observations convict me because sometimes, guys, sometimes I am those religious leaders. And so are you, by the way. And here's how it happens. In a word, it's complacency. We get comfortable in our prayer life. Our walk of faith might become guided by something other than the one we have faith in. And we go from following Jesus to being Jesus adjacent. And our eyes are no longer fixed on him. He's there, but he's in the periphery. And we think that because at some point we have Jesus, we had Jesus, that this power is ours, that I've taken ownership of it, that the power of Jesus, that the power of the Holy Spirit, that is my power. And that's a dangerous inaccuracy. Scripture says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Jesus says, no one shall come to the Father but through me. It's all through Jesus. For it is by grace we have been saved through faith. And this is not from ourselves, that is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Preach it, Pastor. Preach it. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So, what about that, that question? Let's get back to that question. What does it look like? What does it mean for you and I to make straight the way for the Lord? It looks like letting go. It looks like surrender. Not defeat, surrender. It means understanding that the battle belongs to the Lord. It means the understanding that the battle has already been won. It's knowing that the one who is among us, whether we know it or not, whether we acknowledge him or not, it's knowing that the one who is among us has defeated sin and death and that through him we might know the Father. And I want to challenge you guys today to assess your life to take inventory of whatever it is you're struggling with, whatever sin you're wrestling with, and to take both of those things, your life and your struggles, and offer them to Jesus. Because he's taken care of both of those things. 
Do you guys believe what Jesus says when he says it? I do. And when Jesus surrendered his spirit on the cross, he said, it's finished. And it means that I don't have to fight, even if I want to, and even if I think I can. It is so, so, uh, so easy and so frequent that we might look at the religious leaders in, in all the gospels and they're like, yeah, they're the villain, you know? And, and so often I, 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 I read and, and I don't like them. And I don't like them because I am them. John said, there is one who stands among you, but you don't even know him. And I think it's a safe, safe assessment that everybody or most everybody here this morning has accepted Christ into their life. And it's probably a safe assessment to say that at one time or another, we've lost track of that. And even though he is among us, we forget about it. We don't know it. And we take up that, we take up that battle. We take up that fight and we say, I have, I have, I have the power of the Holy Spirit. I have the power of Jesus, but we're wrong. What we have is the power of surrender. And Jesus is the power of Jesus. Amen. He is the one who fights my battles. I am the one who surrenders to him. So I want to encourage you guys to, to take a look at what you have going on, whether it's big, whether it's small, whether it's something as small as a white lie or something as big as an affair or an addiction. And I want you to look at those things and stop wrestling with them and just give them to Jesus. And to be clear, we don't live in a life that doesn't have consequences. Sure, there are going to be consequences for our actions. But when we surrender to Jesus, he is the way maker. Regardless of what we're going through, what we've done, what's been done to us, give it to him. Stop wrestling with it. It's not yours to wrestle with. He has already won. He says it is finished. That is my challenge or my charge leaving here today. Take a look at what you've got going on. And if it's something you're wrestling with, give it to Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we know that we serve a mighty and powerful God. Lord, in anything that we're going through, any battles that we're fighting, Lord, that our, our only way out is surrender. Lord, and there isn't a feeling of defeat when we surrender these things to you, when we offer these things to you, because we know that you have conquered sin and death. We know that you have said it is finished, God, and we can have peace in that. Lord, I pray that every heart in this room today and every heart that we might touch or encounter would be convicted to look at what they're wrestling with and just stop and give it to you. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be broken wide open and receptive to your love, that we would be healed. Lord, we just pray that you would bless our efforts going forward and encourage us leaving here today. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week.